While combat and fighting is fun in medieval fantasy worlds, what if I just want to play or write about a quiet character who likes crafting or hobbies? Is that even an option? I'm so glad you asked because I've been wanting to write something like this too that's just like different from the usual monsters and mayhem. So why don't we ask an expert on cozy fantasy and find out? I'm your host, Sarah, and I'm your other host, Morgan. We are two sisters by marriage who love to talk about stories from writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D to talking legends and lattes with author Travis Baldry. We're out of of initiative. initiative. While the clang of swords and the sparks of magic are thrilling, there are times in fantasy when it's just as fun to allow the characters to slow down a bit and perhaps savor those quiet moments, and maybe even a good cup of coffee. Today we're joined by special guest Travis Baldry, audiobook narrator and author of the cozy fantasy novel Legends and Lattes. Thank you again for joining us, Travis! Thank you so much for having me. Uh, If you missed the first half of this interview, we chatted a little bit about the no-spoiler run-through of Legend and Lattes. And now we're getting into the spoilers because, listen, some things are really pressing here, and I would like to talk about some of the spoilers. So if you haven't read the book yet, you can pause this right here, right now, go read it. It's a great read. And then come back and then weigh in in the comments. First things first, I I just want to talk about the sign. I want to talk about the second iteration of the sign after the fire and having Blackwood, Blackblood in the sign... It just occurred to me that Isaac has to read the book before he edits this because this is just rife with spoilers. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I'll cut the second one. Um, that moment when she unveils the sign and the fragment of her former life is melted alongside, melded into this new life that she's creating for herself. I like my heart grew three sizes that day. Uh, what inspired that? What inspired that sequence? That was actually kind of spur of the moment when I was writing it. I didn't know that when I when I went in. It was not in the original outline, but it just felt like it felt like I got to that point and it was the only thing that could happen. Because otherwise it would be like dishonest. Like nobody starts over and leaves everything behind. And anybody who would ask you to, like to like completely forgo everything that made you who you are, it feels like that would be like, what a horrible thing to expect of somebody. So the fact that they were forward about it and were like, hey, who you are now is made up of who you were and we love that. So I, I don't know. It just felt, it felt like it was the thing that had to happen. I feel like it was so symbolic too because... Viv, there were several times where she was scared or nervous, like when she had the alarm and that kind of thing. She would reach for it, right? She was like going to reach for her sword. And now it's done. Like she can't have her sword. And I'm just thinking like she doesn't she doesn't need it anymore. Yeah, She has family and support and all this kind of stuff. So um, that was that was big for me. Um, But yeah, it's still there, but it's just it's not part of you, but it's not. And it's not. It's that there's that last like hurdle of like making the new life is not having to reach for it, but acknowledging that it's still part of who you are permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did briefly have a moment of like, um, but who hurt you? Uh, why would you do this to us? <laughs> but I think that's good. And that's something that we talk about in D and D a lot is when our characters go through these big moments and we don't script this in advance, right? Actual plays, which is, I think, 
this book resonated for, to my D&D brain because there was a lot of organic interaction, these organic moments, and that really resonates as a reader. But, you know, we, we don't script it in advance, and then your character ends up, like, having this response or having this reaction in in a moment that's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know that was coming, but, you know, everybody at the group kind of felt that deep on an emotional level. Uh, so thinking about D&D... You said there's quite a bit of yourself in Viv. And what I want to know, because as we play D&D, there's a lot of ourselves in our characters. Um, and we often discover things about ourselves. And sometimes they're great things. And sometimes they're, you know, stuff that we have to live with now. Um, and I'm wondering, what did you learn about yourself while writing about Viv when you have so much of yourself exposed on the page like that? Um, I think a lot of what Viv realizes over the course of it is that, like, how important people are to her. You know, goal goal oriented kind of people, people who are are always out and doing are often kind of like forget that people are like what makes anything worth anything. And I forget that a lot. And it's like, you know, it's it's I'm not a naturally like outgoing person, so it's always like a challenge for me. So um it made me think about that in ways that I didn't or or it made me think about those things more sharply, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, oh yeah. And in D&D, I know our characters, we always joke about, you know, these these powerful adventurers and they roll into town and they just put down their platinum to people that have never seen a platinum before, you know, the townskeeper or the farmers or whatever that are just the the townsfolk and they just are so out of touch with <laughs> the common <laughs> the common people. And I mean, it's we always joke, we know, we know we are, but our characters, they, they, they just, you know, they'll leave a trail of destruction and they don't care about who has to deal with it later. Or rebuild. <laughs> they just, it's, it's kind of an ongoing joke, but. Oh, yeah. green flames consumed their shop. Well, you know, we brought a lot of money into town, so yeah, yeah it's we'll going to be fine. I'll economy. leave a platinum on the doorstep. Call it good. <laughs> it's going to take how long to build? Well, we don't have that kind of time. We got to go. We got to go now. <laughs> we'll come back later. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. Yeah, you don't when your your characters out adventuring, they don't realize that people just have their normal day to day lives, and that's okay. And so, yeah, absolutely. Something I thought was really interesting is the Madrigal is presented as like thug boss, right in the beginning, and it was like shame if something were to happen to your shop. Perfect, great. I knew exactly where the trouble was going. I loved it. And then she had maybe a soft spot for cinnamon rolls. And they're just like, there was something so delightful about that uh, and where her character went and the fact that she had some humanity and was willing to help with rebuilding. There are a lot of choices made in that arc of that character who we barely see on screen. Can you talk about some of that process and how you decided to write her? So... A lot of the threat in the book ends up being red herrings, basically. You need some kind of like tension, like something to think about and worry about. But ultimately, there's not really anybody who's that much of a bad guy in the movie, with the exception of Fennis. And he's bad only in that he's a jealous person who's unwilling to believe that that anybody else should can deserves anything that he doesn't already have. You know, it's just he's just in incapable of that. And that's as evil as it gets. Um, so my thought for the Madrigal was really that basically she's kind of like homeowners insurance and the HOA and that really what she's doing is gentrifying this place. But she's doing it not necessarily within the confines of the law, not always outside it, but just for her own reasons. 
you know, not not even selfless reasons. You know, she probably makes really good money doing it. You know, she's got lots of investments placed, but really she just wants this place to not, uh, to be gentrified. So I didn't end up writing this in, but the reason that Ansem is out of the livery business and it's derelict is because of her. So he was he was a terrible businessman. He was he was sloppy and, you know, he was bringing the place down. So she just made sure he wasn't in business. And so she was overjoyed when somebody else wanted to start a new business there. Sent somebody there almost immediately to see what they were up to. And that's Lack showing up. So her ultimate goal was to have a business there. And, you know, to profit from it, but also for them to be successful. So I don't know. I... <laughs> She has. I, she was also going to be in the second book, um, because she she mentions at one time that she's like the person who went the se- the opposite direction of Viv, and they're kind of like meeting in the middle. She was like, uh, you know, more kind of like a more proper socialite sort of person at one point, who due to circumstances ended up going the other way, and was like, I'm not going to let other people run this stuff. They're all incompetent. I'm going to do it. Um, and basically ended up kind of assuming control of that of that sort of stuff. Do you see her getting back outside the city and maybe doing, I think, the same about Viv? Like, do we see them ever picking up arms again and going out and trying to earn a little coin on the side? Viv, as far as I'm concerned, is never going to go back out. She earned her retirement. She got it. The Madrigal is fully city-focused. So she's just going to continue to exert her control and expand her influence within the city. You know, and she's got, obviously you know, an understanding with the law. <laughs> an, an understanding. An understanding. Knows. Yeah. An understanding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like those, um, her, especially like that was villain enough. You know what I mean? It was, it was, an, I was like, okay, they're scary. I don't like the, like it was, it was enough, even though you, like you said, they were just HOA. Um, but with, with the whole elements and everything, like I didn't want anything bad to happen to the, yeah, it can't be so. too bad. It can't yeah. be too bad. Yeah. It has to yeah. be recoverable. Do we think that we're going to get more of Tandry's backstory? As you were talking about, like, kind of these pieces that were left behind, I wanted to know so much more about Tan- mm-hmm. Tandry, and I I wanted to know, like, what happened? Was there more to it? And do you think that that's ever going to come up in a future story? Uh, it could. I am not sure. I am not sure. Um, the The story that I'm writing right now is a prequel. But it is like twenty years prequel, um, so it's pre Tandry, but I, maybe someday, maybe someday. I'm not sure though. Um, I have some ideas about what happened to her and you know where she started out from and her experience, um, but I'm not I'm not sure yet if that will get written or not. That's okay. We can live with that. We can live with that. The choice to make her a succubus is really interesting. And I mean, as is, I think, making Viv an orc. I think that there's like a a delightful, a delightful sort of unexpected twist to having the heroine in our romance be an orc. Uh, and I love that. And I think we should get a lot more of it. And the choice to make Tandria succubus is very interesting. What made you pursue that route? Um, It really kind of got down to everybody being different than the preconceived notion. And, you know, we have, there's like a really popular preconceived notion of what a succubus is. And I wanted that to like mean something different. They would, people would, she would still labor under that misapprehension. 
but ultimately it's about like um like an emotional resonance kind of thing an ability you know how some people just make you feel like at ease and like you're interesting and cool they just have that way about them so this is like that turned to 11 and a lot of people like misapprehend that right oh you're really into me no actually i just i'm really good at relating to other people in a way that's really powerful and so succubus as far as i'm concerned in this that's what that means and so she's constantly having to kind of contain that to a certain extent because otherwise she she has to deal with like advances she doesn't want or misunderstandings and so that was the main thing i wanted it to be again one of those things where like there was it was like an inversion it was a it was a you don't get what's on the label yeah, and the I, characters never even actually, um, we never actually specifically said what a succubus does, how they work. Like, I love that that was so implied that we really were relying on the readers having read other fantasy, having other fantasy background and pulling, like, we brought our own preconceived notions into this and just expected that she would do what we see succubus doing. Yep. Um, and a, a lot of those, I mean, the fan using an orc using, you know, obviously I have some things that aren't like totally standard, you know, but I kind of wanted it to be a case where you could immediately relatively familiarly just hop in and then there's things about the world to pick up, but part of the coziness is is the comfort of like stepping into a world that you feel reasonably like you recognize, you know, at least to some extent, like you know what you 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 can see the fantasy city you understand who the races are for the most part i mean there's not i guess there's there's rat people in warhammer but um you know they they don't they don't they they're not very thimble like um <laughs> <laughs> next character bargain i want to do ratkin so write that down I'm, i've already been like oh okay how am i going to homebrew this it's how am i going to there's a little things are like i need to know more uh, the descriptions like the... with their little hands covered in flour i just oh I just the thing is, it. he's he's even anomalous for the Bradkin. So there is there's another one in the the next book, and she swears like a sailor, and you know she's just very very different from him. So he's even among them, he's like kind of anomalous. Yeah, and then his kitchen's too small, and they're like, "We're gonna make you a new kitchen. You better make him a bigger <laughs> better kitchen. Make him a kitchen. You better make him a bigger one." <laughs> he was the perfect. Um, he embodied what I would call a cinnamon roll character, and then yes. he made cinnamon rolls. Made cinnamon rolls. <laughs> was that intentional? Because no, it really, it wasn't. I loved it. And then everybody pointed it out afterward. I was like, "Well, I guess it probably should have been intentional." Yeah, subconscious. <laughs> claim it. Claim it. You're like, "Oh yeah, yeah I absolutely did that. Mm-hmm. Totally meant that." So as you were talking about kind of making a, a cozy fantasy, do you feel that this is a new trend or genre that needs to be explored by more authors? Do you, I mean, I feel like thoughts? the genre has existed for a while in various forms. I think a lot of what Terry Pratchett writes is honestly kind of cozy fantasy. It's stuff that's concerned with people. And he's obviously really optimistic about people. And it's stories usually about like bigger societal ideas, but it's still, it's mostly about people. And it uses all the trappings of fantasy to do that. Um, Diana Wynne-Jones, stuff like Howl's Moving Castle, T. Kingfisher, mm-hmm. uh, Paladin's Grace. It's got slightly more decapitations in it, but it's still, it's about like middle-aged people having kind of like an awkward romance and the, you know, the the berserker paladin also, you know, makes socks. It's, you know, I, so I think that all of this stuff exists. I think there's probably 
more hunger for it right now just because of the state of the world, you know. Um, and you kind of match that up with genre-wise with things like Critical Role and kind of the resurgence of D&D as like a social thing that people do. You've got both nostalgia from like 90s paperbacks and people who played D&D back in the day. And then there's a whole new, you know, there's new generations of people who who are experiencing it that doesn't have kind of like some of the nerdy stigma that it used to have in days gone by. Um, and so I think all those things together, I guess it's just the time is right for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, you know, we've talked about like cozy games are just having like this big absurdity. Yeah. And, Stardew and Valley, so, you know, there's, yeah. there's you know, people. <laughs> Animal Crossing. I mean, that exactly. was huge. Yeah. Do you feel like you're going to write more cozy books? Do you think that the others that you're working on, do you think they're going to land in the same genre? Um, at least to a certain extent. Um, the next one is at least to a certain extent. It's not this, exactly the same book, it, but it's um, it's still, you know, like not at the level of like epic world stuff. It's it's concerned with a smaller group of people in a smaller location and their concerns. So I don't know how cozy it ends up being. I don't know yet. I, I <laughs> we'll we'll see. But it's um, uh. I I just gotta finish writing the darn thing. I'm about I'm about two thirds done with the first draft, so I'm getting there. But it's set in your same world. Same world, same, same world, okay. different place. Um, but Viv's much younger. She's still okay. very adventury at this point, okay. earlier on in her career. But there's a she is sidetracked. And so you in the story, she has some of her previous adventure party, like they kind of show up once in a while. Are you um, going to have them or is it different? Group? In this one, she meets Galena. That's where she meets okay. her. And they don't okay. get along at first. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That makes I a lot that's... of sense for that character. It's <laughs> yeah. Basically, like it's um, it's basically Viv's summer vacation of discovery, accidental summer vacation of discovery. She gets wounded and she gets tossed off in a town and the people she's you know running with are off doing something more important because she was being a little headstrong and a little bit running ahead of the pack um so she's frustratingly sidelined and so ideally the book is about a lot of the seeds that grow for her later in life like things that she doesn't know are important to her yet but that become important later um so we'll we'll see how that works <laughs> Does she experience coffee for the first time in the story? She does or? not, but she does in the she does. Uh, there's the prequel short that comes with the okay. paperback is where basically she runs into coffee. It's like later on, you know, it's she's trying to figure her out her way out. She's kind of done, but she doesn't know what to do yet, and so she's trying to pull all the pieces together to figure out her life. And that's what the prequel short is about. This is much further back, and coffee is not a twinkle in anybody's eye yet. One of my favorite aspects is when she gets her sh coffee shop up and going. I mean, I think there's a she she wants to make money. Obviously, she wants to you know make this a successful business. But when she sees the first customer sip the coffee and she just waits like for the express like just yeah. waits is it for how work? it's going to make them feel. Yeah, yep. like how it's going to make them feel over how much money she's going to make. That yep. was I just loved that side of her. Um, just seeing that like that's what she wanted. She wanted to make make people feel good and and feel what she felt you know yep. for the first, and i just yep. loved that that was great the next one is more about books because okay. viv is a reader but she wasn't always so it has it's this one's a little bit more book focused although there okay. is still some baked goods <laughs> 
yes. gotta have baked goods. Yes. Yeah. You so you know your audience is what I'm hearing. I like baked goods. I like baked ah. goods. Unfortunately, I like. <laughs> so there's a moment uh, when initially somebody says it's a romance. It's queer romance starring an orc and a succubus. And if you were to tell me that pitch and then say there is, in fact, a moment where the main character, quote, trembles with anticipation, I would have been like, oh, really? But it's she's smelling coffee beans. And I paused and was like, this is an acceptable time for a character to quiver with anticipation. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's amazing. It was it was a very funny moment <laughs> for like a meta reasons. Right. Uh, so. We decide romance and you talked about a little bit about why you chose a female orc as your main character, but why a queer romance? What what drew you to that aspect? Um, so initially I didn't expect to write romance at all. Um, I knew that they were going to be good friends and it was something that Viv needed and Tandry needed. That they were two different kinds of people that needed something and really they needed other people who, you know, would stand up for them and... Yeah, not let them take the easy way out, but also be just just good people that worked together. So I knew they were going to be really good friends. And about halfway through the book, I figured out that they would be a little bit more because it just became self-evident to me. But that wasn't what I set out to do. So that's a large part of the reason why it's basically a friendship that ultimately becomes something else instead of kind of like, oh, this is the romance that's happening and how it's being assembled. It was more about their friendship and mutual support first. So the romance was almost accidental um, because that's just how they ended up working together. I felt like they had really good chemistry the moment Tandry f responded to the want ad. Like, yeah, where she, she walked in where and she, she called sat her down. Out. Yeah. Viv's over there strung out on too many cups of coffee. And we've got, you know, the succubus comes wandering in. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I ship this. And, and you know, I, I probably should have seen it at that point, but I don't think I saw it for another <laughs> another couple of chapters. Um, and, but, and the, but again, the empty, it just kind of became self-evident. Yeah. yeah. And the empty coffee shop. And Tandry's like, oh, you need to advertise. And Viv is, what? What? Yeah, like she just immediately was like, you need to do this and you need this. And, this. and Viv's like, okay. Like it was, yeah, <laughs> it was great. They were perfect for each other. I loved it. Good balance. Good balance. We don't have to keep talking about romance. That's okay. I read a lot of romance, <laughs> and that is just always where my mind goes. I'm just like, so, but what about the romance? Uh, and I felt like there was a good amount of this. We got the good resolution and the happy ending, even too, uh, yes. you know, of their romance, because it could have been more tumultuous, especially as Viv hears, you know, other Viv in her head, uh, which I have to say, there's something to be said about a character who's as consistent in tone as Viv is the entire story. And when she breaks that consistency, consistency, she's really conscious about it. Like, I'm letting another part of me out. And were there times that you felt like you had to retool the way that she was talking to herself to kind of keep that same tone or to kind of suppress that other self that she had that starts peeking out when things became stressful? I mean, I know I wanted her to struggle with it, and but it was a very conscious decision. So from the outset, everything was very conscious for her. She was like, I'm going to put this down and do this. She took notes. She has a notebook. She planned it, you know. Um, so I wanted her to be methodical about it and not like, I didn't want her to be just irrationally angry. Again, I just didn't want to do that kind of like teen drama thing because it just, just bugs me. And I didn't think that she would do that. She's level-headed about things. She can make s silly mistakes and overlook things, but, you know, she would think about it. So when she sees herself doing it, I wanted her to see herself doing it 
and then consciously do something about it. I didn't want her to feel like powerless in the face of this, you know, previous self. I wanted it to be something she had to work at, but that she knew was happening. I don't know if I answered the question. I feel like I rambled. No, I think it was track. great. That was great. Yeah, no, it was no. good. Yeah, where this is about wandering and and landing where the conversation lands. I think. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, previously, I believe in our first part um, of our discussion with you, you talked about keeping tension. It's it's low stakes, right? But how do you keep tension and momentum? So, if I was say running a D and D game. And I wanted to add something a little bit more slower paced or just like a slice of life or some what I mean, how when you were writing, how did you keep a little bit of tension, but not over the top? Um, I think a lot of it was structural. It was like because it was a lot of it's kind of like almost project based, right? You buy the place. Am I going to be able to fix it? You know, I fix it. Am I going to be able to start the business? I get the business all assembled. Is anybody going to show up? They do show up, but not enough. Am I going to be able to make enough money? It's this constant like doubt and resolution, doubt and resolution, doubt and resolution throughout. Um, and every time something new happens, there's just that little bit, there's that dopamine hit of, okay, things are a little bit better. We're moving along. Um, and so having that, it's all just setups and payoffs, right? Just like, into really from from a really small like paragraph level to like the whole book level, just little bitty setups and little bitty payoffs, and just making sure that the little setup gets a little payoff. It just kind of keeps you strung along. Oh, if a question gets asked, I'm going to get a really satisfying answer or, or vaguely satisfying. So I don't know how satisfying it is. An answer that satisfies something, and then that makes you want the next one because you get your. It's almost like you're training yourself to expect that little resolution. It's like that, you know. There's a treasure chest. There's going to be stuff in it. If there's a waterfall, there's going to be something behind the waterfall. There, you know, there's just this little, little setups and payoffs. There's always and, something behind the waterfall. Yeah, there's always something behind the waterfall. Always. Yeah, you have to go back there. Yes. <laughs> we have to look. We have to look. And so much of that is your character, Viv. I mean, from page like you're rooting for her, and there were inst- like when the coffee shop was empty, I was like, oh, I was disappointed along with. So your writing, I mean, it was fantastic because I felt like I was going on the journey with her, and the ups and the downs, and the oh, there's someone here, and and that kind of thing. Um, just kind of felt like the momentum kept going. Um, I really enjoyed. I'm glad. That I'm glad because yeah. I was, yeah. you know. At the time, I can't say I was worried about it because I didn't expect anybody was going to read it. Now, in retrospect, and now when I'm writing another one, now I'm worried about it. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's how I've heard from fellow authors. Their sophomore novel is tough because you have that inner critic and you have oh, to gosh, just turn yes. it off. You just have to yes. turn it off and just get the words down. Because you're not um, writing the same book. You can't mm-hmm. write the same book. Nobody wants the mm-hmm. same book. Exactly. You know? I mean, but I'd, what I'd made like it work, you know? <laughs> we could do this one once more. I think. We'll just change. Um, we'll just, I'm just gonna get. It. I'm just gonna search and replace the names real quick in Word, yes. and I'll send it right over. <laughs> okay. Hot tip though: when you find and replace names, you gotta hit, have a space on the front and the back. Uh, oh yeah. Otherwise, you otherwise, get very awkward. You, you get you know? little words and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, at, suppressing the inner critic and writing a book just for yourself are you able to write so for book one this legend lattes you wrote for yourself which is incredible and is there any of that that you're able to sort of extract to keep things um 
less stressful as you're working on your current piece? Ooh, I wish there was. Um, I tried to plan really well for it. I was like, I, okay, so I have, I went through three other versions of this book that I scrapped. So for, for a variety of reasons, um, I was not able to, I, I tried really hard. I was like, I, I'll outline this. I'll set it up the same way. I'm going to do the same kind of schedule. I'm going to write a chapter a day. It's, I'm going to do it the same way and it'll be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> <laughs> was not fine at all. Um, and I had a really tough time distinguishing between having a bad feeling about something because it was wrong or having a bad feeling about it because I was worried about it. And I didn't have to worry about that before. And it took me weeks and weeks to understand which one was which, which was hard. Um, so the first book was going to be, I'll just tell you what it was. It was a cozy mystery, cozy fantasy, set in the city. It was set at the university. You're going to learn more about magic. Um, and it was about this uh, professor of um, thalmic forensics. Her name was Zelia Greatstrider. And she uh, was up for the deanship and she got passed over. So she quit and said, F you, and went off to become a writer and was not doing very well at it. Um, and the dean gets killed, and she gets asked to come back to investigate, and at the same time, she discovers that what she really is going to do is she's going to invent kind of like the mystery novel while she's doing this. And I really liked that idea, and I had it all planned out, and I wrote it, and I'm like, I am, I got, I don't know, 18,000, 20,000 words, and I was like, I am terrible at writing a mystery novel, and everybody's <laughs> got to get from here to there to do the thing. Mystery's hard. And it's hard. It is and, hard. And yeah. it's just moving all the pieces. It felt, I was, it felt so mechanical to me. I had a really rough time with it. So I scrapped it. I, well, I, let's say I just backburned it. I got stuff from every version of this that I wrote. I like extracted pieces that I liked. And so then it was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And now I don't have anything. Now I have to start over. And so I started over twice. I just kept it fiddling around until I eventually figured out that there really was something wrong with the books. The, 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 they, weren't, they weren't about something that was important to me or they weren't something that I could write. Um, and then I finally found something that I had something to write about and started doing that. And so I still feel awful, but it's a different kind of awful. It's more just, this is just the stress awful. This is not that there's something wrong with it awful. And at least I know the difference now. This is a very useful thing to know. Do you find yourself rereading sure. re re and, and saying, oh, I like this. Like, I, I can enjoy my own writing as I reread it. And that helps you kind of make a different, like, the differentiation? I am trying not to reread. Because if Ooh, I do, okay. I am deathly afraid I'll stall out now. I just need to That's get fair. to the end. I'm about two-thirds done. I just need to get through these chapters. I have gone back and inserted some chapters because I'm like, this needs... I'm not going to go back and read this, but I recognize that I needed this. I needed more time with these two people back here. So I'm going to go at it or whatever. But I'm trying really hard not to go read. <laughs> I, I know from other um, authors that there are... They'll come up with a premise or some sort of story... And start writing it just like you did and go, I'm not ready to write this yet. Like, yeah. I, my skills aren't there. I just don't know these characters enough. It's just not there. And they do. They just kind of back burner it. And, you know, in a year or two or three, when you have your skills or just different perspective, you can pick it back up again. I know yeah. there's been instances I've done that where I'm like, I, I'm just I'm just not I'm ready, just not for, ready this for this one yet. Yeah. yeah. And that's OK. And that's OK. 
um, you know, and you gotta, you gotta have some passion in it to like get to the end. And yep. if it's just kind of at 20,000 words, if you're just kind of, eh, it's not, it's not going to happen. You're just going to force it and it's, it's yep. not going to be what you want. At least is when I know I can finish it. You know, I passed the halfway. It's on the downward slope on the other side. I know I'm going to have more to do at the end of this book than I did with the first one because it's a little more complicated and it's a little less straightforward. Because, I mean, the first one is pretty straightforward. It I'm is. going to open a business. Yeah. And that's part yeah. of its probably its charm is that it is straightforward. So, of course, I have the worry here. Well, this is not as straightforward, so it will not be as charming, you know, and, I'll, and I'm, I'm, of course, totally terrified of that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just that inner critic. You just got to shut it off yep. and you just got to just write it out. And if you figure out how to do that, will you let us know? Um... <laughs> I wish somebody would just give me the like the magic dust or whatever. That give just me the cheat code. Turn all of that off. It, it just never goes away. It just it's always there. So I heard your your outline. You do outline. I know we've had a discussion about team outline, team I'm a pantser and it's really not very helpful for me. I'm an outliner. So So I did, I tried to do National Novel Writing Month for years and years and years. And I thought I was a pantser, but notably, I never finished any of those. But this is the first one that I outlined and then I finished. So I, I, it helps me to have like a couple signposts in the middle that I can lunge toward. I'm not totally. Like, I alter my outline as I go. Like, oh, this has got to happen, so I'm going to make it happen. And it flexes. I'm not rigid. But having something in the middle of the blizzard that I can see a few yards ahead is really, really helpful for me. I wish it wasn't, because I wish I could just sit down and just like, oh, I'm just going to pour myself onto the page. It's going to be so amazing. But no, I can't do that at all. It sounds I'm so envious romantic. of those people. I know. This sounds great. <laughs> and I am really envious of the people that can do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I outline, I do the same where I just, I kind of leave some, like, I know this scene needs to happen, but how we get to that scene, I kind of let it flex. And I think I think that's smart because it just, you never know as you're spending time with the characters what they're kind of yeah. want. You know, this is leaning this way instead of the other way. And I think that's okay. It's just let, yeah. it, let it go. Our running joke is that I start with the sex scenes and then I'll work out from there. <laughs> <laughs> How's it working? Stuff first. Notably, have finished only one, so um, you know, yeah. But you have a and lot of sex scenes written, and I shelved so. it. They're hilariously none in that book. Uh, it's funny because I shelved it because I, I got out over my skis. But you know, that's a whole separate thing. Uh, so, uh, w- what classes do you think your characters would be in D anD? And you say you don't play, but it sounds like you're pretty. I mean, still pretty Man. familiar. Man, that's actually really hard. That's actually hard. I mean, you know, Viv is pretty straightforward. <laughs> I think she's a barbarian, right? <laughs> she's she's a barbarian. Yeah. Um, you know, or at the very least a fighter, you know. Um the uh gosh. You know We have a bard, a self proclaimed bard. That's easy. Yeah, yes. we, yeah Pen- and I was Penry's very clearly excited. a bard. Yes, about that. Um yeah. Fennis is is kinda he's dual class. He's dual class. You know, he's definitely kind of like a mage, you know. He's like a mage fighter hybrid. Um uh Galena is is basically a thief assassin, effectively. I mean, the, I, I, these are the obvious ones because they're actually part of the adventuring party. Um uh Typhus was a straight mage. Um maybe a sorcerer. The magic systems here is a little different, so I'm remapping it in my brain. Um what would Cal be? Gosh. 
How do you even map that over? I, I was actually thinking about this today. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this, Morgan. Like, what would oh, I was cheating off your notes. Uh, yeah. It's hard. I, it's tough. Like, and I think, like, we talk about artificers a little bit in in the book. And that's kind of a little bit where I see Cal. Yeah. Man. That's a very kind of, like, tinker thing going on. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's hard. That's hard. Need more. I need more. I need more mundane classes in D&D. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. Because I mean, what would Thimble be? You know, how do you map that to a class? Well, it's funny because they're actually in 5th edition D&D. There is a chef feat that is a whole separate, like, thing that your character can have that is, like, a really commonly overlooked one because it's, like, doesn't add mechanically that much to the game. But I love the idea of, like, the one member of the party who, like, makes sure everybody gets make fed. Sure everybody and, gets like, fed. Yeah. You go cleric. have something and cleric I'll make it some Yeah, he's a cleric. Yeah, yeah it is probably cleric. Kind of cleric energy. Yeah, like, you here, know. have some food. Everybody's fed and taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> God. And Tandri, because she went to the university, so I'm thinking like she's really smart, she she's really educated. Smart. She's such a mystery to me. I like. I feel like I there's so much more. I want so much more of her. I do too. Yeah. Oh man, we really put you on the spot here. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, is, this is actually really challenging. Um, <laughs> what would Tandri be? For some reason, you know, a ranger popped into my brain that doesn't really make any sense. Um, but I could just imagine her doing it. Um, that kind of makes sense because I think that there's, I mean, there are a couple of ranger builds where they end up with a little bit of magic and mm-hmm. you know, being really in tune with not only nature but like travel yeah, something about and... the being in tune, you know, like with the world, like the natural world, kind of in like a slightly different direction. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Huh. or like a druid, I could see that too, like. It's the magic and we want to hone it, but also like understanding how to like read others and sort of like getting the thoughts and, and emotions off of even animals. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. She was great that. at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for putting up with our questions today, Travis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about this after the fact. I'll come up with like some really good answers at about 1 a.m. That's perfect. perfect. Yeah. Shoot us a message and we'll include it in a tweet and we'll add it as an addendum for uh, <laughs> official, official yeah. classes, official update. Legends Latte, important breaking news. Everybody needs to know this. Somebody made well, me a well, Viv character sheet and sent it to me. I think yeah. Oh, I was going to say, somewhere. should we make a one shot with, like, with these characters? Or <laughs> with the betting? characters. Van <laughs> created one shot. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, so Legends and Lattes is going to relaunch. Uh, through tour in November, 8th in the U.S., 10th in the U.K., uh, trade paperback in the U.S., hardback in the U.K. Um, it's also being translated into uh, at least eight languages by now, which will be trickling out um, after that. Um, and uh, the new version has a prequel short called Pages to Fill that's around 10K words. Um, and all the paperback versions will have that for an exclusive period of time before I think it's going to end up in other versions as well. Uh, well, Travis, thank you again for joining us today. It was wonderful to chat about your book. And as a reminder, if you have not uh, picked up your copy, Legend of Mates uh, is being republished by Tor November 8th here in the U.S. and November 10th or 12th in 10th. the U.K. In the 10th UK, in the yep. U.K. That's important because I know we've got a U.K. listener 
who I need to shout out way more often. Uh, and now he knows where he can pick up your book. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We have been out of initiative, but we're going to get back into it. So get out there, roll some dice, tell some stories, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Out of Initiative, a podcast from Merely NPCs. For more from Sarah and Morgan, follow them on TikTok at Merely NPCs or visit them online at MerelyNPCs.com.